Welcome back to another episode of Beyond Broke and Hungry. Dara and Ellen are here. and We're sitting with Suzanne, the rock star advocate. Um, and we're super excited to have her on this podcast. Um, she has done the rock star life, um, kind of gotten drained from it. And um, she gives now people advice on how to not do that. So Suzanne, thank you so much for coming and taking the time to be on our podcast with us. We appreciate it. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. And thanks for having this platform. It's a really important topic to talk about. So I'm, I'm excited to be here. Absolutely. So um, we like to start things off on a light note. First off, what is the weirdest thing that happened to you this week? Oh, man. Uh, in the music industry, that's so, there's so many things to choose from. Um, <laughs> I, would say, I would say the weirdest thing, um, well, in New, again, and I'm also in New York, but um, yeah, on the subway, uh, I was on the, the train recently, and this person just collapsed. And we were all like, oh, my God, is he having a heart attack? Is anything happening? And he just <laughs> stood up. And he was like, I'm fine. And just like walked off the train. Oh my <laughs> and it was like, I feel like you should wait for somebody to check you out. But he didn't think that there was anything wrong with collapsing on the ground. And uh, I guess he didn't want to hold people up. So, uh, so he just walked away. And, and nobody seemed that concerned. They were like, oh, another day in New York. <laughs> <laughs> love it. Love it. Right on. All right. Well, um, how about you tell us a little bit about yourself? How did you get into the music industry? Sure. So um, not to take it too far back, this will be brief. But when I was, uh, when I was 12, I, I saw behind the music on VH1 with, um, it was about Def Jam with Russell Simmons, Rick Rubin, Leora Cohen. And I just thought it was fascinating because I always wanted to grow up thinking I'd, you know, be on stage with Janet Jackson or like do something really cool. But I was terrified of being on stage. I, I don't really like being in the spotlight. But to me, that was the only way to like be around music and musicians and all of that. And when I saw that behind the music, I was like, oh my gosh, like, yeah, that's right. There's a whole business behind it. And like, I could, I could do that. And so then that became like my, my passion and I started reading up about it. And when I was um, 17, I found out about Drexel University and they were uh, just coming out with their brand new music industry program and they were looking for, for students. So I got into that program and we started Mad Dragon Records. It's a student run label that still runs today. Um, and it, it was, we got to create everything. We got to create the curriculum. If we didn't like a teacher, we got them fired. Sorry, guys. Um, <laughs> and we really got to for 18 year olds. <laughs> yeah, it's a, like way too much power than we should have had. But we really got to shape the, you know, how we wanted to learn and who we wanted to learn from. And it was a really cool. I, I love that I was there at the time I was there. And um, in order to graduate, you needed two years of internships. Um, and so a friend of a friend got me an internship at Atlantic Records and wow. they only needed me four hours a day. So I stayed eight, 10 hours a day. If they, right. you know, if I go to a different department, see if anybody else needed help. And I really just hung out there until they made me go home. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, like, uh, time for you to leave. <laughs> yeah. Like, okay, weirdo, please go home. We all want to go home. Um, and it was just a really interesting time. I mean, I was there when Little Kim went to jail. So, I mean, I got to um, help record T.I.'s message to her to keep her head up while she was in jail. Um, I was there when ODB passed away. Um, Missy Elliott was coming back with her first album after Aaliyah had passed. I mean, it was 
and I grew up on hip hop. I'm Queens born and raised and I was just, I loved every minute of it. And it was so much fun. If I could make a living being an intern, I would still be an intern at Atlantic <laughs> Records. Um, and it, it was great. And um, when, uh, for the two years, anytime I'd go back to Philly for college, they said, hey, well, you know, we're under Warner Brothers and we could use some college reps uh, and get like, you know, get a street team together and help promote our artists while you're in Philly. And so that's what I did uh, for two years. And when um, one of my bosses moved to Astroworks, I was a junior and he said, you know, I could really use you at Astroworks. You know, it's too bad you're, you got another year left. And I said, well, what, what if I didn't? And he said, well, then call me. <laughs> so I spoke to my advisors in my junior year, I was able to double up on my classes and I got out early so I could take the job at Astroworks. And um, I have my own office and I was like 20, 21 years old working at a label. And I thought it was like, I was like, wow, my dreams came true. This is everything I always wanted it to be. And every day was miserable. <laughs> I just, I hated it so much and, and nothing against Astroworks. It just, it really wasn't, I don't know what I thought it was going to be, but it, it just wasn't that. It was just, it was a lot of selling, a lot of like, you know, negotiating, running deals, trying to beg people to get those artist CDs in their stores. And, you know, those stores were closing. It was Tower Records and Sam Goody. And they, they were all like, no, we're trying to get rid of our inventory. We don't want to, you know, buy more product. Um, and it was just really a, a stressful time to be on the retail end of things. Uh, it was 2006 and it was, you know, just rampant with uh, retail stores closing. So it just wasn't, wasn't my thing. And that's kind of when I started to put my foot into, I actually got to meet Russell Simmons and I told him of my quandary. <laughs> I said, you know, you're the reason I'm in this business, but you know, everything's falling down around me and you know, should I go do my own thing? And he was like, stop asking permission. Like stop waiting for people to tell you to do things. Just go do it and figure it out. And then I was like, yes, sir. And so like, that's what I, that's what I started doing. So I just started learning how to create businesses and offer services, figure out what works, what doesn't work, what can I, how can I help artists? And that's kind of how the journey began. That's awesome. On your website, you were talking a little bit about burnout. So what did that look like for you? Oh, yes. Um, burnout. So, I mean, when I worked at the labels, you know, from the very first job I ever had, it was, you know, if you yawned, it was stop complaining, stop yawning, stop, you know, that's a sign of weakness. That's a sign of you don't want this enough. Um, you think you're tired. I haven't slept in three days. You know, a lot of sleep shaming, a lot of, um, you know, prove to us how much you want it, uh, work harder, go to more events, um, you know, do more things. And that's how my 20s were. Even after I left the labels, I, that's all I knew. That's all I knew how to do. And so that's what I tried to do. And there's a reason that my other two businesses before this failed because, um, you know, it, I didn't, I thought busy equaled productive. And it took me a good 10 years after that to learn that that's not true. So not only was I taking on clients, I, I would do social media plans for them and write bios for them and, and do all those things. But then anytime they had a show, if it was in New York, I was going. And, you know, some of these, a lot of the times I worked with hip hop artists, sometimes they'd have freestyles or open mics like every week. And even though I just saw them, I'd be out again 
I'm like, well, they're a client. I got to, you know, and I got to get more clients. And, and so instead of being at home, writing their bio or being strategic for their social media, I was running around taking three, four different trains to the different boroughs to go see as many shows as I could. And I hated it and I was tired and I was miserable. Um, and then going on to the networking events because I wasn't at the labels anymore. So I wanted to make sure I was still making relationships with people in the industry. So going to all the meetups and going to all the events in New York and, and you know, just not remembering people's names and not following up with people because I'd come home exhausted and um, just, just a lot of burnout. And finally, by my late 20s, um, I kind of thought maybe I'd leave the business. I, I didn't know what I was going to do. And a bunch of musicians that I had, that had been my clients over the years, they said, Hey, listen, like we're going on um, a camping trip. You should come with us. Just get out of the city for a little bit. We think it would be fun. And I went with 20 people and I came back with three bullseyes, all carrying Lyme disease on my leg. Oh and nobody else came back with anything. And, um, I got Lyme disease at 28 and it knocked me out. And I, I mean, there were d days I couldn't sit up in bed. Um, I'd get very sensitive to light and sound. I still am. So going to people's shows was kind of not at the top of my list. Um, and I was angry and I was, I was resentful and I was like, I can't believe that, you know, what, what, <laughs> like, yeah. I'm trying to build a career. How, how can this be happening? But I decided to take a, take a breath. And within the year I hired, um, a business coach. I thought, okay, I know the music industry, but I don't know entrepreneurship. I like, it finally hit me that those were two different things. I had a friend who was an entrepreneur and a business coach. And she for years kept saying, Suze, you're going about it the wrong way. You're doing too much. And I was like, you don't know what it's like to be in the music industry. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and finally it was like, okay, maybe she's onto something. Sure. Let's, let's work together in four months at a full-time business. That is awesome. I am exhausted from hearing all of like, just hearing all the things that you did. I mean, like I, I worked in, um, in, in radio, uh, for the last two years. I don't, I don't as much anymore. Um, I kind of do it on the side, but a hundred percent commission sales, not the music industry and definitely not what radio used to be. But like, that was me like a year ago going to every networking event that I could because I needed clients and we needed money and we needed a sponsorship for this event and that event and everything else. And I literally felt like if I wasn't doing something that was networking wise or you know like reaching out to people that I I was I wasn't making money so I literally was like I had like dark circles under my eyes so I totally when you feel like you need to be in seven different places at once like it's it's a lot <laughs> 100 yeah so what did it look like for you to once you realized hey i'm working myself to the bone here i'm going too hard i need to take it a little bit differently and go about it a different way um in order to make this successful what did those changes look like yeah that's a great question so for me because you know you would think there'd be enough signs um to slow down and do things differently uh for me it was a very hard lesson to learn so when i got limes at 28 um, I still, I mean, I, I would be throwing up on the daily and I, that still was not a sign for me. I was like, well, I guess this is just something I have to get used 
to having. And, you know, there was no, it never entered my mind at that point. Oh, let me see how I need to take care of myself now that I'm sick. That never in the beginning crossed my mind. It was now, how do I cope and, and power through while I throw up and need to like put cold compresses on my head and it hurts to sit up, but like, how do I get to my new normal? Like, it was like, I'm not going to change anything I'm doing. I just need to like, my threshold for pain needs to expand. Right. And that's not going to help, but Mm -hmm. you just force yourself through it and you tell yourself it'll be fine without actually fixing them. It was still a good month there where I didn't want to hear the message and everyone around me and doctors and loved ones and coworkers, because I still had my day job at that point. And, you know, they would all say like, you, you can't, like, you gotta, you gotta go sit down. You got, and I was like, no, you don't, you know, that was my favorite thing to say. You don't understand, you know, you're not in the music industry. You don't get it. I can't slow down. I have something to prove and this is not going to get the best of me. And then Finally, I just exacerbated it to a point where my body was like, okay, now you're going to listen because now it's going to get so painful that you can't push through it and you're going to have to sleep all day and you're going to have to turn out all the lights and you're going to have to stay off the computer. And then it became my business coach telling me, hey, you just invested a lot of money in me. And so now you got to trust me. And even in, in the beginning of our working relationship, I, I, she'd tell me things and I'd say, oh, Jordana, like, I know you're really successful, but you don't get it. And she's like, you got to stop saying that and you have to trust me because you're not getting it. And so I did, I I had to really acquiesce and, and let her, whatever she said, then I took as, as scripture and I did whatever she told me to do, including, you know, she'd say, you can only work four hours today. Or, you know, you can only have this as your goal this week, nothing else. And, you know, she had to force me to slow down. And then all of a sudden I was getting more clients and I was making more money and I was doing my my work correctly the first time and not having to do it over and feeling good about myself. And I was getting up out of bed without an alarm clock and, you know, everything started to shift once I could trust it, but it took me a long time to trust it. I'd love for you to touch on a little bit more about when you slowed down, um, how did those clients end up coming to you? Sure. Great question. So, you know, as I started to slow down, I was able to really work intentionally and be intentional about who I was trying to attract because before I hired my coach and really got clear, I, you know, would just keep my ear out. Anytime an artist was like, I need help. I'm like, what do you need? I could do it. What do you need? And my service list was about eight pages long and you could get a bio, you get an EPK. I could do your social media. And I didn't like doing any of those things, but I knew how to do them. And so anything, any skill that I ever learned in the music industry, I put on a page, I gave a super, super low price to, because I thought that's how I was competitive um, in the market. And I was just whatever you needed. And when you do that, people then don't know where to put you. So the desperate clients who just see that you have really low prices are just like, oh yeah, sure. Okay, thanks. I'll just pay her a little bit of money. She can do everything. And it's like a one-stop dollar store basically. But the good clients, the ones that you know are going to be in it to win it, the ones that you know are serious about their careers and, and want to... Um, you know, do good work and have 
good work done. Um, they weren't coming to me because I was giving out this message of I'm desperate for your money. I'll do anything. And I'm not really an expert in anything, even though I was, but I wasn't showcasing that. I was just trying to be the, you know, the Renaissance woman that could do everything. And then they were, and people get that. Like when they see that you offer everything, they think whether it's subconscious or otherwise, well, then what can they be really good at? They're probably just kind of good at a lot of things rather than really good at one thing. And my business coach pointed that out and she's like, you got to streamline what you offer. Like you like offer three services right now. Like what are the three things you're going to offer and let them all revolve around one main thing. And she helped me get super clear. By that point, I had already gone back to school for my master's in psychology and at that point, but right before I hired her, I was ready to quit the music industry and become a school social worker. And wow. <laughs> yeah, like talk about turning, like doing a 180. Um, and I said to her, well, that really wasn't, that really wasn't happening for a myriad of personal reasons. And I said, I don't know. I still feel called to the music industry, but I've got this master's now. And I, I, I don't really know how to combine them. And she said, what would you want to do if nothing was in your way? There was no, like, and I said, I don't know, kind of what I want to do doesn't really exist. Like, I don't even know if it's possible. And she's like, who cares? Like, what do you want to do? Yeah. And I said, I would love to, to go on tour with artists and like be their therapist. Like, I, I want to make sure they're not falling into post-tour depression. I want to make sure that they're not burning out. I want to make sure that they're being healthy now that I know how to be healthy. And she's like, so do it. And I was like, yeah, but like, there's no, like, nobody's doing that. How do I market that? And she's like, well, you're in the perfect position. Nobody's doing it. And they were doing it a little bit at the major labels. Mm -hmm. um, but so that's what I started marketing. But then I found out, okay, well, in order to afford me so that I could afford, you know, afford to go on the road, I, I didn't know any musicians at the time that had, a, had that in their budget. So then I was like, all right, well, if I can't tour, I can Skype with them. And I'll just do it by Skype. And so, you know, each, each step that I took, I learned something about the market. I learned something about my clients. But the fact that I was very clear, I'm going to help you get clear on your goals. I'm going to help you break this down so you don't feel overwhelmed. I'm going to show you tips for how to not burn out like I did. Like, that's what I was clear on. And then they were, and I was like, and I have my master's. I'm trained in counseling in this. And yeah, and once I said all of that, it was like a beacon, like a lighthouse. And people were like, oh, here's how I'm feeling. This person can help. Let me go to them. Because as soon as I got clear on how I could help, the price didn't matter. I could raise the price if somebody really, if, I, if they knew I could solve something for them, they'll find the money. Like they, they will hire me and they will work with me if I promise and deliver on my results. And that was really the biggest aha moment for me. And that's what enabled me to to go full time in the, in less than a year. That's crazy. That's such an interesting story. <laughs> yeah, it's it's been a ride. <laughs> so the main things that you chose to offer were basically exactly what you were teaching yourself at that same moment. Right. And there was so definitely imposter syndrome there. Like, well, I'm just learning this. Who the hell am I? But my coach would remind me like I knew these things back then I just didn't want to listen to it and I had the experience of knowing what happens when you don't listen to it um 
And I had the experience of being in the business for at that point over 10 years. And I knew, I knew what was causing it. So that, you know, I know that the, when you start something new, that imposter syndrome is like real loud, but you got to remind yourself that there's more, more, to, more to it than just how long have you been teaching it? It's like, how long have you been living it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So what are some of your biggest tips that you give to artists and say you're on the road with somebody um, and they're just having anxiety attacks all the time and they're not budgeting well and they're just a little bit of a mess? What are the first things that you move them past that? Sure. So um, one of the things, you know, it all starts with mindset. I mean, your perspective and your mindset is more powerful than you can ever imagine. Um, you know, you can't, if you ask any, you know, whatever your definition of success is, if you ask anybody who succeeded in that way, how they got there, you know, one of the first things they always say is like, well, I believe that I could. You really have to believe it. It's not so much how hard are you going to work for it? Because yes, listen, I still work hard, but it's not about burning out to prove how much you want it. It's about having the confidence and the vision so that you can carry it out. And so I often start by asking them, well, what, what do you want? You know, what does your career look like? Because a lot of the times the things that they're anxious about or the things that are overwhelming to them more often than not. Um, and this might surprise a lot of people and it often surprises my clients until they realize it. Um, they're following somebody else's dream and they don't get like, oh, I got to do all these YouTube videos and I hate being on YouTube and it's making me so anxious and I don't want to do it. And like, I have panic attacks about it or I I drag my feet and and it's like, well, why are you doing YouTube? Well, somebody told me that that's how you build an income stream. You have to monetize YouTube. And it's like, well, yes, absolutely. I know lots of people who have successful careers on YouTube, but what do you want? They're like, I just want to write songs. I just, I want to make money from my songs. I went, and I'd say, well, do you feel you, you need to perform them? No, I mean, I don't, I don't care if I give my songs to somebody else. I just, I love writing. That's what I love to do. I was like, well, then why are you on YouTube? Why aren't you focusing on songwriting and getting a publisher and working towards networking and looking into licensing and, you know, and working with other artists who do love to perform and, and seeing if you two can collaborate and, and they just kind of look at you like, well, I never thought about what I wanted. You know, there's, there's just all these talking heads on the internet telling me, you know, like my, my coach used to say should is a four letter word. And she taught me uh, very quickly, you know, get rid of the word should, because you hear all the time, you should do this. You should do that. Well, do you want to like, is that what you want to do? And so I try to first start there. What do you want and what needs to happen Mm -hmm. to get there? Um, The other thing I think a lot of people fall into a trap is they think about the how too much. So they get a goal in mind. It feels super big to them. They don't know how they're going to get there or they're afraid thinking about how they're going to get there. What if I'm wrong about the how? Mm -hmm. So then they don't get started at all. And what I've learned over the years is stop focusing on the how. Just focus on what it is you want and keep breaking it down until you ha- until there's something that you could take action on today. Like break that down into such small pieces that something pops out at you of like, oh, well, I, I could do that right now. I could get started in, on that piece of it. 
And one, you have to start taking action in order for the how to, to reveal itself. You, this isn't about, goal setting is not about being a psychic. Goal setting is about getting clear so that you could take the first steps. So after we figure out what it is they want, I have them break everything down into itty bitty steps until there's something that they can start taking action on now and stop worrying about being right about it. Just worry about collect data. Like you're, you're, you should focus on collecting data. I need to collect data on whether or not this action is, is effective. I need to collect data on who my audience is. What do they want? What do they not want? I need to collect data on, you know, what's working Are my video are, are doing videos online more effective. Do I like doing them or do I like creating graphics or do I like, you know, doing audio, you know, like, what is it? Like, it's an experiment but you have to collect data in order to, to review the results and see what's working. So that's another thing is to collect data and, and review it. So get clear on your vision, break stuff down, review the data as you collect it. And then the other thing that I would also say that trips people up is um, this whole idea of competition and like looking at what somebody else is doing or looking at, oh, they're moving faster than I am or they're getting you know, I've seen even coat fellow coaches look at each other. Well, they're doing more webinars and their tech seems to be going easier for them than my tech. And, you know, I'm making more mistakes or like, first of all, you don't know that it's just only what they've shared with you online that you're seeing. Um, you know, other people will say, Oh, the musician, they, they went to this venue that I wanted to play and they're selling out and I can't even sell five tickets. And, Oh, boo hoo hoo. Like I stink compared to them. Who's to say that those weren't, they didn't come from a big Italian family and bring their whole family there with them. Like you don't know. So the minute you start looking over, it's like driving on the highway. If you're not looking straight ahead, you're not paying attention. You're going to veer off your path and crash all because you were looking at the car next to you who you don't even know where their destination point is. You, you could most likely want two completely different things. So why does it matter what they're doing? That would be my main tips that I try to shine a light on for people that those things are just easy for us to forget. Yeah, absolutely. So going back to that first point, um, I actually have a lot of friends that are like, I don't know what I want to do. Like, I don't have any like major dreams and I just feel like I'm floating. I don't know exactly what my purpose is. How would you guide people in that situation? Yeah. And I've been there myself and mine is always go back to school. Now I don't mean you don't have to then go for another degree or like enroll in an actual school, but mm -hmm. like spend some time falling down a rabbit hole on YouTube. And I don't mean looking at cat videos because it could be easy, right? Like if you're going to go on YouTube or Pinterest, you should definitely have a timer set and you should definitely have an intention of what you're looking for when you go on those sites. But, um, but definitely like, you know, think about just anything that interests you, anything, and then go and like watch a couple of videos about it or interviews of people who have succeeded in that field or listen to podcasts, like get educated on something that interests you. And it won't take you too long to either see, oh, wow, this is still really interesting or, oh, wow, I like the idea of it, but seeing what it takes to do it. No, that doesn't interest me. Next, just spend some self-development time. I love going through the Desire Map by Danielle Laporte. Um, I always recommend the Desire Map to people. It's a brilliant um, workbook. It's about, I, I guess, maybe about 60 or so pages of reading. 
And then about 40 pages or so, she asks you prompts and questions and um, stuff like that about really about how you want to feel. And her whole, um, her whole kind of theory behind it is rather than focus on what you want, focus on how you want to feel. And then as you explore that, you'll start to see what things can allow you to feel that way. And then that might, might, you know, get some ideas uh, going. So that's always a good exercise. And the last thing that I usually say to them is, you know, don't worry about what the right answer is. Like I, I, I found a notebook from, from junior high where it, it was about, you know, leading up to in a couple of years, it'll be 2000. And during the whole Y2K, when we all combust and, and the, the world explodes, if we survive, what, what would you like to do? And I, I wrote down three things and I just wrote lawyer, music industry, therapist. And I was like 11 or 12. And I didn't, I didn't write those three things down thinking they'd be connected. I just wrote those things down as like, because I was interested in them. And so my day job for almost seven years was as a paralegal. And I took a lot of law classes. I don't have my law degree, but I, I am very familiar with contracts and with copyright law and with all those things, because I'm interested in it. But as I got older and I looked into it more, uh, seeing what law school was like, wasn't worth the debt to me that it would put me in. I didn't love it enough to go into that amount of debt. So I didn't do it. But then I was like, well, I love psychology. Like I, I love, I, I could, I could get into a little bit of debt for that. Like I, I could talk about psychology all day long. Um, and that's what led me to go for my master's. So then I went in and I, I, I shadowed a school social worker for a year and it was amazing and it was very rewarding, but I realized I'm not, I don't, I'm too empathetic. I'm not built for that. I, I can't, can't leave my work at work. Uh, it would, it would break me every single day. Um, and I, I don't have the fortitude. God bless those who are social workers. I can't, I'm not made for it. And I had to find that out. So, so find out. It's really just about just exploring, getting educated and testing things out. Don't worry about having the answer right now. Absolutely. Yeah, that was a really good answer. Um, so what are some of your biggest productivity tips um, for like keeping everything straight when you have a million things going on and especially like juggling multiple clients and how do you keep all that balanced? Sure. So unlike my other answers, I can keep this one real brief because I I talk about it every single day. Um, So yeah, first is monotasking, doing one thing at a time, Um, microtasking, breaking it down, into smaller pieces so that, you know, not only can you um, manage it in your brain a little bit better to take action when something maybe seems like a big project, but it also allows you to manage your time better. So I always use YouTube as an example. If you had to like post a YouTube video and you've got a bunch of errands to run that day and you're like, well, I can't do a YouTube video. Yeah, but if you broke it down, you could write a caption. You could outline what the video was gonna be. You could set up the equipment. You could, you know, if you're, if you need a script or something, you could write the script. If you're, if you're waiting in the doctor's office and the doctor's running behind, you're just sitting there, you could write a couple of social media posts that you're going to do to promote the video once it's out. Like there are so many different pieces to that, that if you break it down, 
you know, sitting in traffic or, or waiting for a meeting that's starting late or all that stuff. It's not about multitasking. It's about being intentional with the downtime that you have and knowing what you can do in that time. And then the other tip is batching. So doing things like doing all of the writing pieces together, doing all of the graphic piece together. If you're somebody that does do a lot of YouTube videos, try to film a lot of them all in one afternoon. And then on another day, edit them. And on another day, upload them. Like have, like batch your days into themes if you can, because contextual shifting going from say graphic design to writing to meetings to like all of that shifting and it requires different parts of your brain. It actually almost up to 50% uh, faster will burn your energy and it will also take more brain power um, to constantly shift between tasks. So if you can batch your tasks, you're conserving your energy, you're improving your focus, and it just helps get things done a little bit faster. That's so interesting. I've never thought about that, how just kind of jumping between a million different things will wear you out because you're, you know, you're trying to keep things fresh and okay, well, I'm going to move from this project to that project to this part of this other project. And it's exhausting. (laughs) Your brain doesn't know what to do. (laughs) I am a huge fan of checklists and I live out of my planner and I, she does. She's not, I I literally will like, I have, I have a side hustle. So I literally will, I have it in my alarm at there's, there's two hours um, every day that I, that I, that I dedicate time to it. So it does not matter. When I first started, I was trying to respond to everybody as soon as I could and like do all this and I was getting overwhelmed because and then like my actual work was getting affected and I was like look my side hustle is, is, is just that a side hustle so these designated hours my alarm will go off and that is the hour that I dedicate to that so that's so when messages are coming through they can wait they've got a life outside of uh, outside of the questions that they're asking me so when it is that time that's when I focus on that or like you mentioned when you're at the doctor's office like when I'm at the doctor's office that time is to be at the doctor's office but you know I'm just sitting there on my phone I might as well go ahead and go through some things and I if I have that extra time or write down a couple different ideas of social posts for my music or for something else you know and 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 being intentional with that time has really like helped my anxiety so much because I don't feel like I'm having to do 80 million things at at one time and, and like I said live out of that calendar so that that's a huge help totally absolutely so what does your typical day look like being the rock star advocate? <laughs> so um, every day is different. Uh, basically Wednesdays, uh, Wednesdays and Fridays are usually my um, client days. So a lot, of, a lot of the times Wednesdays are pretty heavy with calls and meetings. Um, same with Fridays. Uh, Thursdays and Tuesdays are usually like my content days where I'm working on uh, content or um, planning it. Uh, Mondays, I meet with my assistant um, over Skype and we go over what she's going to work on for the week, what I'm working on. Um, We have a group consulting um, accountability program. So uh, Rockstar Slackers, because it's on Slack and I love puns. Um, but, But she checks in with them Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays to hold them accountable on their tasks. Uh, Thursdays, I check in just to see for office hours if people have questions. So I've, I've kind of like each day's have their own specific themes. 
um, so that I know uh, if somebody needs to schedule something with me, I'm always like, okay, let's try to get it like on a Wednesday or a Friday um, or, you know, whatever. And obviously, uh, if that doesn't work or if, or if things are quiet, um, I can open up my schedule. But uh, that, that's usually how it is where um, I work from home. I live in a tiny house. I just moved into my new tiny house. Um, and I live with my dog, Pepper. And um, we, we basically just, we go for a walk in the morning around eight o'clock. Like I'm not a morning person. So I don't really like to start my work before like 10 a.m. Unless I absolutely have to, unless a client is in a different time zone where like we have to do a super early call. But um, I usually start my work around 10. Um, and then I take a break around three. I might go run some errands, see my, my grandma who I live nearby, um, you know, do all that stuff. And then maybe from like five to, I don't know, nine, I might do some more work and call it a day. Sometimes if the mood hits me, I might be up at night working. If I, you know, want to see friends at night instead of, of doing the work in from five to nine, then I push my work from maybe like nine to midnight. Um, you know, it really just, um, I do some very structured work, but I also do some where I have a leeway to be flexible. Uh, if, if I want to go see friends or if something comes up, I can, I can make that decision there. So I kind of give myself some wiggle room, but I, I definitely need that structure, at least in the beginning part of the day to make sure that I'm, I'm on track. And that's, I think that's the beauty of, of kind of owning your own business and being your own boss is that you have that time flexibility um, to kind of organize, you know, the second half of your days the way that you want them to be. <laughs> mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit more about what exactly the Rockstar Advocate means. Um, you touched on that a bit earlier, but could you expand on what that is? Yeah. Um, and I, I appreciate you guys asking this because it's something that I often forget to mention. It wasn't until three years into my business that um, somebody that I, I work very closely with had said, you know, why do you always put that slash in Rockstar? And I was like, well, that's the whole point, right? I, I always say like, be the rock for your future star. I was like, you have to be, you have to be grounded to reach your full potential. And they, and this person had been to every conference with me, had been like, we work pretty closely together. And they were like, well, I did not understand that. And That's I was like, so cool. I love that. Yeah. And they were, I they were like, like get out right now. We were like, that is so great. <laughs> <laughs> it's so but apparently I never talk about it. <laughs> like it was so clear to me. And I just, I, it, it's like, it's my tagline um, on, on the website or it was, and and then they were like, no, you're, you do not make that clear at all to people. And that's really interesting. And I said, oh, okay. And so now I have like the definition on my website and I try to make it more apparent. And I, I try to point it out more to people that, that really, um, at first when I was coming up with the business, we thought I'd call myself like the touring advocate. And then when I wasn't touring or I, I knew I wasn't going on the road, I was like, they're like, why don't you be like the rock star advocate? And I said, oh, I hate that. I was like, rock star is so overused. And they said, all right, well, you know, think about it. My coach was like, let's, let's, you know, sleep on it. And then I said, well, if there was a meaning to it, I was like, if we could find like a meaning and I, and the word rock just kind of jumped out at me as like, you know, grounded. And then I said, oh, well, if, 
can we put like a slash through it and like show people that it's like two separate things? And she's like, it's your business, do whatever you want. And I said, well, if there's a meaning behind it, I said, yeah, then, then I like the word rock star. I said, okay, yeah, well, I'll, I'll do that. And so that, that's how that uh, came about. And I, what I mean by advocate is that, you know, in the beginning in my other businesses, people would always say, can you manage me? Or can you book my tour for me? Or can you, and it was like, I knew how to do those things, but I didn't want to. And I was trying to, to describe myself as somebody who I'm here to support you. I want to cheer you on but I don't want to give you fish. I want to teach you how to fish. Like I, I want to be there to show you how to run your career as an entrepreneur, how to see yourself as an entrepreneur, how to see yourself that if you're in this for the long run, this is a business and you know, it's all well and good to love your music. And that's the most important part, but there is another important part of like understanding how to monetize it. So, you know, I just, I felt advocate was just the right word to kind of illustrate that that I'm here to support you and cheer you on and and show you how to do certain things but you I can't want it more than you you've got to like do it yourself you've got to build your own team which can include me but you you've got to put in the work and build the career that you want because it's not my career so I'm not going to be the one building it (laughs) so yeah so that's how that came about Awesome. Um, so we have a few questions that we ask everybody um, that we kind of want to wrap up with. What does self-care mean to you? To me, it means getting a mani-pedi. It means closing my devices and, and sitting on the couch and, and reading or taking a nap. Um, it's really just about, I like to pamper myself. It's really just about uh, quieting the, the environment around me. That to me is self-care. On a slightly lighter note, uh, what do you nerd out about in your free time that isn't your job? Oh, my God. It's either going to be Law & Order, particularly SVU, because Mariska Hargitay is my everything. Love her. Um, <laughs> or don't get me started on TLC, because I could just talk about them till the cows come home. Um, so I'm usually nerding out about those two things. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I love it. That was like one of the first albums my mother ever gave me. (laughs) Big fan, big fan. Do you have a favorite personal routine? Like, you know, like in the morning or to unwind yourself? Is there something that you do um, every day? No questions asked. It's got to happen to make your day go. What I strive to do is every day, take Pepper for a walk, come home. I do a full body stretch. There's like a 10 minute video on YouTube um, that I... uh, that I follow to do a full t- uh, 10 minute full body stretch. And then I do tapping, um, which is basically like, instead of meditating, it's very meditative, um, but there's a free app called tapping solutions. And uh, there's this whole little routine with tapping different points on your face um, and, and setting your intention for the day is basically what it can help do. It can help bring down anxiety. It can help get you focused. Um, and so I like to do uh, tapping as well. And then, and then start my day. How do you keep your work-life balance in check? I really, and and tapping helps with this, I really learned to listen to myself. So I try to listen to my body. Like if I'm hungry, I'm going to stop to eat. If I'm tired, if if what I'm working on is not super time sensitive, I'm going to allow myself to go relax and take a nap and, and do it later. Um, I It's hard to trust because I still fall into those burnout habits, but I really try to listen to myself and say, I know you feel like you're under the gun right now, but you know 
it's going to feel better if you just take a break right now. So I really try to listen to myself and, um, really just always, um, so I have a planner, I have the rockstar life planner and I've actually sent, sent you both, um, a, a copy it's for 2020. It's our fifth year doing it in. It has, um, you know, you work out your intentions for the week and everything. And, and I keep that with me at all times. And I go back to it because I find that reflecting on your plans, whether it's like your to-do list for the day or your, your goal for the month or whatever, if you can c continually check back in with yourself at least once a week, um, that's where I see if, where my balance is. And I have prompts in the planner for you to rate your balance. Like, how did you feel this area of your life was in this area? And so as long as it's front of mind for me, then I can make better decisions. When, when I don't reflect, then I just kind of, go down a bad rabbit hole and I get, I kind of get lost in, uh, in older habits that, that I know don't serve me well. So I try to keep something by me that reminds me like, well, are you balancing? Like, have you taken a break yet? Have you, have you talked to a friend? Have you seen, you know, a loved one recently? Um, you know, reminding me that it's not all about my business. And to sort of get you out of your own mind and that busyness. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Um, so what's your biggest pet peeve? Oh, uh, entitlement. Mm. I mean, not to go too heavy on stuff, but I mean, or like maybe like when people spit their gum in the street, like that's kind of like a, a lighter pet peeve. But <laughs> but I really like, what, like not saying thank you when someone holds the door open for you. Or when you let them in the lane and traffic and you're like, you're welcome. <laughs> If they don't put the hand up to say thank you, I'm like, you did not deserve that go ahead. I like throw my arm out to like thank people. Like, I'm like, I hope you see this. Like, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> and Dara's that person driving by looking like a psycho. Right? It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> I totally can relate to that. <laughs> Anything on that spectrum from like the smallest to the biggest form of entitlement, any of that just really gets me. You see that a lot in the music industry. So yeah, I totally hear that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Heard that. What do you splurge on and what are you cheap with? I'm cheap with pretty much everything. Um, <laughs> the only things I splurge on are anything that I know is going to grow my business. So like coaching, um, new, you know, new books or, or video courses that I, that I feel are going to help me right at the moment. Um, I don't care if I, if I trust who's doing it, I will spend the money. Um, and the other thing I splurge on is red Zoa. If I, every, I try like once every other month, maybe once a quarter, I just, I need a hot stone massage, even though I think their prices are atrocious. I love going there and it just makes me feel like all my hard work has paid off. I need a red Zoa massage. Like that's it. I go total Long Island and I'm like, I need red Zoa right now. I need a red Zoa. I need a red door. I need something. <laughs> so that that I'll splurge money on, but everything else I'm I'm pretty stingy on. <laughs> What's the unknown secret of the music industry and I mean and your job in general? Um the unknown secret is that nobody knows what the hell they're doing. Um and, and what I mean by that is like yes, we might be experts in 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 our specific topic, but in terms of like where the industry is headed or you know, what's the, the best way to be building a career. It's so different for everybody. So I hate when people say like, if you want a career in music, this is what you need to be doing. And it's like, it depends on so many things. 
And there's, you know, as soon as you do think that there's like a blueprint, somebody else is going to go against the grain and be super successful. And people are going to be like, how did they do that? Um, Because they kept their eye on the ball and they did what they wanted to do. Um, So yeah, I mean, the the biggest secret is that there is no, uh, there's no silver bullet. There's no overnight success. Um, there's no one thing that's going to get you where you want to be. Yeah. It's like, there's the people that are super successful being on record labels. And then there's Chance the Rapper who's like, nope, I'm doing it myself. And I'm just going to build a team and screw the industry. Yeah. (laughs) And the people with the record label contracts aren't happy anyway. And it's like, it's all, you know, and, and the people who are successful are the people who stopped listening to everybody and just, you know, try like coaches are important. Listening to podcasts like yours are important. Industry education is important, but you have to be able to call it when you're like, no, I'm not going to listen to that. Like you got to know when it doesn't feel right for you. And that that's going to make your success and, and build your path. And that discernment is really, really hard. <laughs> sure. Trial by error for sure. So, um, Suzanne, we have one last question for you. We want to know who is your favorite band slash, you know, what's your favorite type of music? Oh, I don't know if I could pick a favorite type because it's all between mainly it's 90s R&B nice. or, or it's going to be Broadway show tunes. So it's somewhere, <laughs> somewhere between there. But my favorite band, I always got to give it to my guys, Sub Radio. It's Sub Dash Radio. Um, they're killing it. They're one of my favorite bands, both for who they are as people and that their music is so freaking catchy. It's unbelievable. Um, every every song they come up with, I'm like, this is a single. Like this sounds like a single. Um, and they uh, they were nice enough to to be the. Uh, the band who does the theme music for my podcast. Um, So I love those guys. I always got to shout them out. Suzanne, thank you so much again for taking the time to sit with us um, and and talk about the Rockstar Advocate and who you are and and give some tips. Um, We really appreciate you taking the time to speak with us and we're very excited to to have you on this podcast with us. Thank you so much for having me. I love this, this podcast and I look forward to hearing more episodes. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you all so much for tuning in to another episode of Beyond Broke and Hungry. We're halfway through season one. Next Tuesday, hear from Steve and Mel from Oasis Health Planning. We'll talk a little bit more about finances and balance in that. Make sure you're following us at Beyond Broke and Hungry and subscribe and share. See you next week.